1: Good morning. It is March 28th, 2023. It is Tuesday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Witch Way Publishing, so let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is, at last came the golden month of the wild folk. Honey, sweet May, when the birds come back and the flowers come out, and the air is full of the sunrise, scents and songs of the dawning year. By Samuel Scott uh, Scoville, Wild Folk. So what are we drinking today? We are finishing out our Witch's Cupboard Tea, which, by the way, if you ordered it, somehow, like, I'm usually pretty decent at, like, putting on the website, like the amount I have left, but somehow we had more on the website than I had in real life. So I had to, um, order more of the ingredients and, uh, if you ordered and it's kind of late, that's why, but I promise it is going out. Um, also I'll be announcing for real, for reals pretty soon, but we have a new tea coming out. Um, it is Owen's family themed, But we will get more in on that um, another time. But this tea has chamomile and peppermint. Um, It's very calming. Uh, It really is what I think of when I think of herbal tea. And we've been going through the different ingredients, (laughs) talking history and magic and culinary. And uh, we did peppermint and chamomile. But now we're going to talk vanilla. So we've talked about vanilla before, right? Uh, We actually did a really great segment on it maybe a year ago, but we talked about, like, what type of vanilla to buy based off what you're cooking and what you're using it for, and I really enjoyed that segment. And vanilla is something we use. A lot of people just really primarily associate it with baking, but we use it in magic all the time. It is a really soft cozy, warm, loving uh, ingredient. So we're going to talk a little bit more about vanilla. This comes to us from eater.com. So vanilla as a concept suffers a bad rap, right? The word alone implies something safe at best and boring at worst. Basic, basically. But vanilla as an ingredient is a wondrous thing. It is floral, warm, sophisticated. In truth, the essence of vanilla is anything but plain. It's an essential ingredient, adding not just flavor, but also body and soul into a dish. Says Francis Ong, a San Francisco pastry chef. Vanilla is, of course, uh, integral to countless pastries and desserts adding a sense of familiarity to everything from ice cream to sugar cookies. And it's luxury. Um, and I mean, it's, you know, a luxury, right? It's time intensive and labor intensive, and it must be done entirely by hand when you make vanilla. But for such a frequently used ingredient, vanilla and its subsets can be confusing to understand. With vanilla bean pods, extracts, pastes, sugars, salts, how do you know which version to shop for? Why are some vanillas so much more expensive than others? And how do you make sure you're not wasting any of this precious stuff you do invest in? So with those questions in mind, Eater spoke to a panel of experts and we are going to dive into the wide, wonderful world of vanilla. So where does vanilla come from? Uh, In a truly neat trick of nature, vanilla pods are a fruit of a stunning flower known as the vanilla orchid, which is the only orchid to bear edible fruit. So in the movie Simply Irresistible, which is um, a movie I swear that I traveled back in time to create because um, it is a movie made purely for me. (laughs) Like it has um, an actress from my favorite show it's set in my what used to be my favorite department store, and it's all about witches and cooking and magic, and uh, like it really feels like it was catered to my tastes. Um, with that being said, I think it's Sarah Michelle Geller's most uh, regretted role. <laughs> But I feel like that also is on brand for me, so that's okay. Um, But in the movie, she is conjuring up some love magic, right? She has this man in her spell, and she takes um, the petals from a vanilla orchid and drops it into um, a custard or, like, a cream, and the idea is that it makes it taste good, but, like, I don't think that's how it works. There's a lot of that movie that doesn't make sense but it's okay. So let's see. So why is vanilla so expensive? In short, because vanilla harvesting is time and labor intensive. Um, You can't use automation. It's an incredibly long process that just can't be rushed. So let's say you do shell out money for a vanilla pod. How do you know you're getting a good one? So, they say you can tell if vanilla bean is really good based on how thick and plump it is. It should look a little moist. I don't recommend buying pods from big box stores because they're dry, thin, and frail. Those aren't worth your money. It's all shriveled up. So, what do you do with leftover pods if you scraped out all the seeds, right? Like, let's say you're making a um, you know, pettishu cream or whatever, and you decide you want to have the little flecks of vanilla. So you scrape out the pod, put the vanilla, uh, kind of seeds paste in there. What do you do with the leftover pod? So something you can do is take what you have left over from scraping a pod and put it in a mason jar with vodka. Um, leave for about six months, uh, dark, cool area. Shake it once in a while, and you've got vanilla extract. So vanilla extract is by far the most common form of vanilla available. As this name implies, it's made by exactly what I just explained to you. Um, and so basically, it, it, but real vanilla extract is still expensive and we just explained why. So you have imitation vanilla, right? And if you remember our conversation we had about vanilla before, we talked about how imitation vanilla is really good if vanilla is not the hero right? So let's say you're making a chocolate cake and it asks for a teaspoon of vanilla extract. Vanilla is not the main character of chocolate cake, right? So use the imitation, use the cheap stuff. But let's say you're making homemade vanilla ice cream. Ooh, vanilla is the main character, right? So use the good stuff. And that's kind of like the idea. So yeah, vanilla. I love it. You love it. Maybe not, but I love it. And there we go. (laughs) Okay, which is um, moving into some headlines. This comes to us from theconversation.com. Witch Lit, How Modern Witches or How Modern Writers Are Reinventing the Witch. So before I even get into this, I remember when I first started working on Witchway Magazine, this was like my first or second issue ever. Oh my gosh, don't go back and look at them. They're horrible and terrible and I didn't know what I was doing and I still really don't. Don't even read them now. Um, but I remember I interviewed, I, you know, it's crazy. Actually, we actually interviewed a really big deal writer, PC cast, and, uh, I kind of forgot about it. And then she gave me a shout out on her Facebook readers group recently. And my mom is apparently a huge fan of hers. And she was like, Oh my God, you're talking about my daughter. (laughs) It was, and then my mom is tagging me. I'm like, mom, stop embarrassing me on the internet. Um, but I, re- I remember we, um, I don't know if it was PC cast specifically who I asked. It could have been, um, Lisa who wrote, who wrote, uh, Witch Cop. But I remember like one big question I had is when witches write fictional witches, why is it never realistic? Why is it still fantastical? Um, and I think the answer I mostly got was because that's just more fun, you know, which I accept. Uh, but we do we which way actually does have a fiction book on witches coming out um, at the end of the year, which I think has witchcraft in a very or witches in a maybe more realistic light. But anyways, uh, so witch lit? How are modern witches reinventing the witch? So we are having a resurgence in uh, film and TV. We have Wednesday. Um, and her ancestor Goody Adams, which oof. Um, Outlander, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, the new uh, uh you know adaptation of uh Ronald Dahl, Witches. Um, you know, a lot of stuff is coming out. So let's see. So it's not only in television and literature that the witch has gained popularity in recent years. Feminist activists and writers such as uh, Mona Cholet are turning to the witch figure of injustice, power, or rebellion. So one glance through the section of TikTok that has been effect- affectionately named Witch Talk reveals a number of people identifying as witches and calling for power use through uh, crystals and tarot. So at a time when female bodies are still policed. uh, in many parts of the world, including our own um, here. The witch retains the power to speak through history and across generations. Perhaps this process of rewriting the witch is actually giving writers a new way to tell the stories of women, which I think has always been kind of the case. Uh, I actually kind of disagree with this article that this is somewhat new, even though I feel like I may be contradicting myself. But when I just said, why do witches write witches so fantastical? I do think the symbol of the witch has always been to tell women's stories uh, and people's stories. Anyone who feels that they are a minority or, um, you know, and I don't think that's particularly new anyways, witches, I'm going to throw this over to our moon correspondent. And after this break, we will talk more.
2: Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago Astrologer, coming at you with your Daily Moon Mantra for Tuesday, March 28th. The waxing crescent moon moves from chatty Gemini to snuggly Cancer today. Here, the moon conjuncts Mars and trines Saturn. It's a real get-stuff-done day, with the planet of action and the planet of structure working hand-in-hand to move the ball forward. These two planets are, however, in water signs so it's not as much about being physically productive as it is about being emotionally productive. You might use this energy to work through something that's been bothering you and find a structured approach to resolution. Your daily moon mantra is, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass, it's about learning to dance in the rain. This has been your daily moon mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny.
1: Humans have been obsessed with predicting the future ever since the dawn of civilization. We've watched the stars, gazed into crystal balls, thrown bones, red cards, and more, all in an effort to better understand ourselves and our place in this magical world. A Curious Future is your guidebook to a variety of divination practices. Did you know that you can divine with wine? Or that a simple pair of dice can give you prophetic insight? This book will help you predict the future through a variety of insightful and sometimes unusual techniques. A Curious Future by Kiki Dombrowski is available for order online from your local bookshop or wherever books are sold. All right, we are back. So we're actually doing a a series this week on magical animals. So when I put out the call to listeners like, hey, what are some magical animals that you like? I got a lot of cryptids, which wasn't quite what I wanted, right? We already did our big series on cryptids. So I think we're good for years on cryptids, Um, not cryptids, right? Because we already did that. We already did cryptids. I wanted magical animals, and this is a really odd thing to ask for, right? What is a magical animal, if not just an animal, or not just cryptids? I was looking for that beautiful place in between of those two things, right? And we got some great feedback. So one that we got, which I don't know if I would typically put into magical animal category, but I do think is really relevant to witches' lives, are the fae. So, we're going to talk a little bit today about the Fae. Um, I really wish we could get a wonderful, like a real expert on the show about the Fae. If anyone has any suggestions, please let me know. We had someone lined up once and they just kind of kept flaking and bailing on me. Um, so, if we could get somebody, uh, we, ha- we already have the questions. So, if we can just get someone uh, cool to come on, that would be great. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the Fae in terms of mythology. So this is from mythicalcreaturesguide.com. So a fairy, also known as fae, is a type of uh, mythical being or legendary creature in European folklore. A form of spirits, often described as metaphysical, supernatural, or preternatural. Fairies resemble various beings of other mythologies, though even folklore that uses the term fairy offers many definitions. So most, most of the f- uh, folklore about fairies revolves around the protection from their malice. Although in modern culture, they are often depicted as young, sometimes winged humanoids of small stature. And they originally were depicted quite differently. Uh, tall, radiant, angelic beings or short, wizened trolls being two of the most commonly mentioned forms. So um, side note, I want to mention fae um mean, like means a lot of different things it can mean um sprites nymphs um gnomes brownies changelings uh, it it really does encompass a lot of beings they're just these elemental things so what they're saying is that It kind of changes. So, back in the day, if you thought of a fae, you thought maybe more of like a gnome or a gremlin or something like that, or like a brownie. Whereas today, you think of like a sprite, like a Tinkerbell, or maybe even a nymph, you know? So, kind of who becomes the poster child for a fairy or fae kind of changes. So, one common theme found around the Celtic nations describes a race of people. Who had been driven into hiding by invading humans, so when considered as beings, that is a person um, that might a- that like a person you might actually encounter. Fairies were noted for their mischief and malice. Fairies are generally uh, described as human in appearance and having magical powers. Folklorists have suggested that their actual origin lies in a conquered race living in hiding or in religious beliefs that lost currency with the advent of religion. These explanations are not necessarily incompatible, and they may be traceable to multiple sources. Much of the folklore about fairies revolves around protection from their malice, but such means as cold iron iron is like poison to fairies and they will not go near it according to lore or charms of rowan and herbs or avoiding offense by shunning locations known to their um you know shunning locations like of theirs so an example of something that we actually do uh a lot of us do that relate to fairies i've heard that we may not know is when someone says knock on wood and you knock on wood, um, because the wood is considered like a fae element, and the idea of knocking on wood, it's almost like you're warning the fae, right? And so that's like brings good luck. I might double check that though. Now I'm questioning myself. In particular, folklore describes how to prevent the fairies from stealing babies and substituting changelings and abducting older people as well. Many folk tales are told of fairies, and they appear as characters and stories from medieval tales of chivalry to Victorian fairy tales, and up to the present day in modern literature. Fairies of one kind or another have been recorded for centuries, but occur alongside the human-sized beings. These have been depicted as ranging in size from very tiny to the size of a human child. Uh, You can think of, like, maybe elves from, like, Santa Claus stories. Like, those are considered fae. Even with these small fairies, however, their so- their small size may be magically assumed rather than constant. Some fairies, though normally quite small, were able to, di- uh, to dilate their figures to imitate humans. Wings, while common in Victorian and later artwork of fairies, are very rare in actual folklore. Even very small fairies flew with magic, sometimes flying or ragwort stems uh, or on the back of birds. Nowadays fairies are often depicted with ordinary insect wings or butterfly wings. In some folklore fairies have green eyes and often bite, though they can confuse one um one with their words. Fairies cannot lie. I think that is the Rumpelstiltskin like example. They hate being told thank you. I have heard this. And they see it as a sign of one forgetting the good deed done and instead want something that will guarantee remembrance. In folklore, they are variously regarded as a natural but hidden species, as spirits of the, f- of the dead, or as descendants of either fallen angels or demons. So again, think of like elementals. Fairies are generally described as human in appearance and having magical powers. Their origins are less clear in folklore, being uh, variously dead or some form of demon, or a species completely independent of angels or humans. So another theory is that fairies were originally worshipped as minor gods or goddesses, such as nymphs or tree spirits, or think Pan, you know. A fairy can be of any element and can be either light or dark. Fairies are often seen as helpers of several things. Being as the seasons change, fairies often help. They wake up plants and trees for slumber, as well as animals and insects. So super cool. I'm going to double check what I said about knocking on wood. Okay, I found it. This comes to us from, like, TED Talk blog. So, knocking on wood is thought to come from the folklore of the ancient Indo-Europeans, or possibly people who predated them, who believed that trees were home to various spirits, like the fae. Touching a tree would invoke the protection or blessing of the spirit. So, yeah. So, we, so when you knock on wood, um, you're kind of signaling to the fae, right? Super cool. Um, yeah? Oh, it's also considered a thank you gesture. So since the fae don't like it when you say thank you, kind of knocking on wood, maybe uh, nods towards that. All right, witches, we are wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout out to uh, listener Stephanie Pinion. Stephanie you pretty, formidable dragon. Candace Cabell, Candace, you dreamlike, mystical leprechaun. Lillian, you bedazzled, graceful kitten. And Beth or Elizabeth, you glowing, insidious witch. Thank you for so much for being Patreon supporters. I really appreciate it. We have fun over there, I think. Um, but before we leave, we do have a card pull today. Our card is Magic from the Metaphysical Cannabis Oracle. This card may indicate there is some prosperity coming your way. We like to see it. All right, witches, that's all I've got for you today. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources, anything we've referenced today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com. And (laughs) we will talk again tomorrow. I'm pretty sure I could say that in my sleep. So there we go. Witches, we hope you have
0: a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness
3: I had an abortion when I was 15 years old in my home state of Arizona in 1994. It was not a decision that I made lightly, but I have never for one moment doubted that it was the right decision for me. But so much has changed in Arizona and many other states since then. If I were that same 15-year-old in Arizona today legally, I would have to get parental consent. I would be forced to undergo a medically unnecessary ultrasound, go to a state-mandated in-person counseling session designed solely to shame me into changing my mind, and then take a state-mandated 24-hour time out to make sure I really know what I wanted. And finally, I would be forced to give the state a reason why. Well, here is mine. It is my body, not the state's. Women and their doctors are the ones that are in the best position to make informed decisions about what is best for them. No one else. No bill that criminalizes abortion will stop anyone from making this incredibly painful decision. These bans will not stop abortion from happening, but they will drive women and girls and people into the shadows, which is what this has always been about, shaming and controlling women's bodies. In the week after I shared my story on my show, women were coming up to me in the street, in the supermarket, at my gym, with tears in their eyes thanking me for my bravery, but the word brave didn't sit right with me. Why is it brave to speak to an experience that millions of people around the world throughout history have gone through? And then I realized it is considered brave because as women we have been taught to feel shame about our bodies since birth. I am so sad that we have to sit here in front of a row of politicians and give deeply personal statements, because the why doesn't matter, it should not matter. I am a human being that deserves autonomy in this country that calls itself free, and choices that a human being makes about their own bodies should not be legislated by strangers who can't possibly know or understand each individual circumstances or beliefs. I'm here today to help destigmatize a legitimate medical procedure and continue to encourage women not to allow themselves to be shamed for their choices. And finally, I am here today for my two little girls, Bertie and Cricket. My dream for them is that they will live in a world in which women are truly equal with complete control over their own reproductive health. That is the dream I hold for all people, regardless of their privilege or parents or what state they live in. That dream is slipping further and further from reality with every ban passed. I hope that you, our elected leaders, can help us reverse the tide. Thank you. I look forward to today's discussion.